0: Hey, welcome to City Gate. How you guys doing? Good. I'm going to read John chapter four. I'm going to read 39 verses. Yeah, Yeah, I know. more of my voice. OK. you ready? Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had passed through Samaria, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman came from Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I I have no husband. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers, and um, I'm going to stop. Verse 23 But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, which she said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed of his word. They said to this woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Throughout history, long time ago and even still today, men and women have pursued the feeling of being satisfied. The feeling of satisfaction. It's a lifelong pursuit we all engage in. I would dare say we actually are addicted to the experience of being satisfied. We're addicted to the feeling we get when we feel satisfied. Whether it be through what we eat or what we drink. Or whether it be through a successful career or a fulfilling relationship. We all desire to live satisfied. But the problem we face is knowing what Will truly satisfy us. Food will satisfy satisfy us for a few hours for sure, some for like 30 minutes, but food will satisfy us for a few hours. A career may satisfy us for a few years, and relationships are so messy it's hard to actually say how long a relationship will truly satisfy us. The truth is, most of us, what we chase in this life, will only provide temporary satisfaction. The food, the career, the relationships. That's temporary at best. Well, then this poses a problem, doesn't it? This is our problem situation we're in because when satisfaction is only temporary, it leads to the ongoing struggle to chase that fleeting feeling of satisfaction and fulfillment. And this ongoing struggle to feel satisfied then leads to addiction. It leads to depression. It leads to a sense of despair Because that which we are chasing will not truly satisfy our deepest desires. So we have to go back and keep searching and go back and go back. And this is exactly what we see in our story today. A woman who has been chasing satisfaction in her relationships with what we know to be six different men ends up living marginalized in her community. She's on the outside of her community because Of her chasing of satisfaction. She resorts to distancing herself from others so no one will shame her. She travels in the middle of the hot day to retrieve her water so no one will reject her. And what we can see based on this story is that this Samaritan woman, who does not have a circle of faithful friends, she is not flourishing in her marriages, she is not maturing in her faith, she is alone. She is suffering within her silent sin alone. Friends, the big idea this morning of these verses, I actually said I'd read through 39, but I cheated and went to 42. The big idea this morning is this, real satisfaction comes from a relationship with Jesus. Real satisfaction comes from a relationship with Jesus. Now this story, if you do not know a whole lot about me, this story is probably top three for me in the whole Bible, maybe top one or two. In fact, uh, every year I'm going to preach a sermon on this story without fail. It's just going to happen. We've been around for two years. This is my second time I preached this story. Every year we're going to come back to the Samaritan woman at the well because it is such a beautiful encounter with Jesus. It was for her and it is for you and I. I, I like everything about the story. I like how Jesus was willing to leave the town he was in So there'd be no rivalry between himself and John. John is his crazy cousin who comes out of the wilderness. He's wearing camel's hair. He's eating bugs and honey. That guy, that's his cousin. And he's willing to leave so there'd be no rivalry. John was busy proclaiming the kingdom, calling people to forgiveness and repentance, and then baptizing them. I like how Jesus left where he was to go and talk with a known enemy, the Samaritan people, specifically a Samaritan woman. But maybe... The part I enjoy the most is the reason why Jesus traveled through that Samaritan town. Yes, it was the most direct route from where he was to where he wanted to go. That is true. It was the most direct route. Maybe Jesus was just being efficient. But there is more to that story of why he traveled there. He made the decision to walk through the enemy territory of Samaria when all others within the Jewish community would have gladly walked around that territory and continue to do so this day. But it's verse 4. I want you to see verse 4 that puts this entire story into perspective. Just a few simple words. It says, He had to pass through Samaria. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Samaria. This verse is important to see and understand because Jesus did not stumble into Samaria. He just didn't happen to stumble into it. And then by chance happened to be very thirsty all at the same time. And then by chance happened to meet a woman in the middle of the day when no one else would be there gathering water at a well. Friends, the first thing we can understand is that there is no coincidence. In the broader sense, right? Coincidence does not exist. Everything that comes to pass in your life is known by God and designed by God, which is really good, by the way, just so you know. Some of us, that freaks us out, and it should. But it's actually a really good thing because I do not want to follow a God where he is not in control of all things. Amen? As painful as life can get, we actually should rest in the fact that he's got everything. Because if there's something more powerful out there than him calling the shots, then we're following the wrong God. Isn't that true? That's a really good thing. There is no coincidence in this life. As I was writing this, I was thinking back to when I first met my wife. I was 18, she was 19, and we happened to be working for the same restaurant at the time when she was in college. She was cute, I was desperate, right? (laughs) She was cute and I was desperate. So what a coincidence. I would happen to be at the ice machine at the same time she would happen to be at the ice machine. You see how that worked? It just so happened every time she needed ice, I needed ice too. But in reality, there was no coincidence, of course. I was trying to get noticed, and notice me she did, by the way. (laughs) You see, I acted as though it was a coincidence to be at the ice machine at the same time as her. But in reality, it was my plan the entire time to be where she was, as much as I could, so she would notice me. And so it is with Jesus in this story he had to pass through Samaria. He traveled to that well at a very specific time to meet this specific woman for a very specific purpose because he was about to offer her eternal satisfaction, eternal salvation. He had to pass through Samaria. He had to travel through enemy territory, which was not a popular thing to do. He had to speak with a woman, which was culturally taboo. He had to lovingly confront her sin, which could have backfired, by the way. Jesus had to be gracious in dealing with her ignorance, which is a really hard thing to do. Jesus had to meet this Samaritan woman. And listen, not because it was his job because God told him to. And he was just doing it so God would be happy. He was just checking it off his list. That is not our God. He had to visit this woman because of who he is. He is the eternal Son of God. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who has existed in eternity past in perfect unity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is the only Son of God sent into the world to reconcile to commune relationship uh, sinners with God. He is the Savior of the world who has made it possible for you and I to be saved from our conscious eternal torment in hell we will face because of our sin. He is God in his flesh, in the flesh pursuing his creation because, because he has to, because he loves you and he loves me. He is compelled by love To sit down at that well. He is compelled to do it. He has to do it. Does love compel you? Does your love for God and your love for your neighbor compel you to go out of your way to sit down with someone who is an enemy or who thinks different or who lives different or who looks different or who speaks different? Does love compel you to serve others and sit with hurting people and talk with your neighbor who's lived there for 10 years and you have yet to even introduce yourself to? As forgiven sinners, all the Christians here this morning, we sit thankful. We sit in this moment very thankful for the opportunity, as Nathaniel would say, to call God Father. It's a privilege. It's an honor. And by the way, I don't know where this guy's been all my life. That prayer time was amazing. You're on for next week. (laughs) As sinners who are forgiven, we can feel confident. We can feel confident that we will not taste the judgment of God. We should be thankful for that. And does your love for God because of that compel you to love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself? Does that change the way you live? Has that changed the way you live Jesus walks into enemy territory. He sits down at a well waiting for a drink, and this woman walks up. She is alone because of who she is. He is there because of who he is. She is alone because her community has disowned her. Yet, this eternal, faithful God planned a meeting with her, planned a conversation with her, and it starts to unfold. Now, there are a lot of verses in this story, and we're not going to take every single one and look at them. We're going to look at a few parts of this story, okay? There's going to be some back and forth with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. First, we're going to look at her, his request, okay? Give me a drink. That's his request. We're going to look at her response. We're going to go back and look at his offer. We're going to go back to her, and we're going to understand her obsession. But then last, we're going to see her obedience, okay? Okay? So it all starts with a simple request. Here is the request. Give me a drink. Now, yes, Jesus, who is the God-man, truly, fully God, truly, fully man, all at the same time, it's a mystery. He did get thirsty and hungry. He was like you and I, yet with no sin. He got thirsty, he got hungry, he was tired. So he stops at a well where a woman comes up every day at noon, by the way. We know why she's there at noon. No one else is. No one else can shame her. That's not when you go get water in the hottest time of the day. By the way, this well is not even the closest well to her house geographically. This well is about a half mile away. She's there at the hottest time of the day. She lives in shame. Her town has disowned her. And then she is surprised that he is there. And she is surprised that he says anything to her. But he does. Give me a drink. Her response. She's surprised because of her response. We know this. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, Samaritan woman, what I enjoy about this response is that he doesn't even entertain. Jesus doesn't even engage in the sort of ethnic anger between the Jews and the Samaritans. He doesn't even address it. He's got something planned. And the, the cultural difference is that's not going to stop his plan. He will not be thwarted. He's not going to go down a road and a conversation that doesn't really mean anything and just create more problems. And this, uh, this response from her... Why, why are you going to ask me for a drink? You're not even supposed to be talking to me, number one. Number two, you're, you're supposed to hate me. I don't even know why you're here. I come here every day. No one else is here. Why are you here? And you'll see her response is always trying to redirect the conversation Jesus is trying to have with her. This is the beginning of her continuous attempt to redirect. Throughout the story, you'll see the same thing, this woman attempting to redirect any and all spiritual conversations into the earthly, physical realities, Now he says, give me a drink. She's confused by that. Now Jesus moves in with his offer. And by the way, before we get um, too far, we need to understand, we, we need to just love what he's offering. We can praise God for a savior that he sent, a religion and a way of living that deeply values women as created image bearers of God. Jesus did not pass by women. Jesus did not treat them in the wrong way. He honored them. He loved them. He pursued them. And if you spend any time reading the Bible, you will see a God loving for, caring for, calling men to love and care for and die for women in a very special way. Her response of, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? A Samaritan woman doesn't trap Jesus in this needless conversation, so he moves in with the offer. Let's look at the offer. Listen, Woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. After a bit of dialogue in the story about why Jesus is able to offer this water and why he is greater than the one who dug the well in the first place, Jacob, supplying this water, remember, this woman is completely content keeping the conversation with the Son of God within physical parameters. She is completely content. Just trying to understand, why are you here? You didn't dig the well. You know, this is our well. This is not your well. So Jesus doubles down on the offer. He's going to keep pursuing her. He's going to keep pursuing her. Verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of this water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Friends, this is the offer of all offers right here, right now. This is the best offer she's ever going to get in her entire life. This is the best offer you're going to ever get in your entire life. The living water is more valuable than any deal you will find this Black Friday, which is coming up. I know. This offer of living water is more valuable than all the platinum or the gold the world has to offer. It's more valuable than any job promotion. And it just so happens that it's more valuable than any relationship she has ever had. It's going to satisfy her deepest need. And this is exactly what she's been searching for. The living water is exactly what she's been searching for. She just never knew it. This woman has been searching for this her entire life. She has lived unsatisfied with life, and this is why she has had so many relationships. And in fact, this is exactly why she's in the middle of a soon to be failed relationship, most likely. She has lived her whole life searching for satisfaction, for acceptance hoping to find it in relationship with men, only to be let down by the lies of Satan, only to be let down by the lies of her temptation, only to be let down by the lies of her own sin. That if she were to just have that guy or that guy or that guy over there, all of her needs would be met and she would finally live satisfied. Imagine a world where women and men alike live satisfied within their relationship with Jesus first. Imagine what that world would look like That if we embraced this well of living water in our life and it continuously nourished our soul. No longer desiring, you know, no longer desiring people chasing temporary affections, but rather... Everyone living content because of God's eternal acceptance, right? So God's acceptance is so much greater than temporary affections. You need to know that. God's acceptance is so much greater than any temporary affection or satisfaction or anything you can get this afternoon. The acceptance before a holy God in the throne room of God is so much greater than that. Not even is it greater It's sustainable. It's always there. It never leaves. It's never fleeting. But she doesn't understand the true offer yet. Even after he doubled down, she still doesn't get it. She does not realize the power of this living water. And so she says, that would be great, Jesus, man, rabbi who I'm talking to, because if I had that water, I wouldn't be thirsty, number one. And then I wouldn't have to come back here every day. Fantastic. I wouldn't have to embarrass myself in public every day just leaving my home to walk here at the noon hour. I wouldn't have to dodge the people of my community every single day. Does any of this sound familiar? To anyone in this room, I wouldn't have to see that person again. If I could just not go there, I wouldn't have to be tempted by that again. I wouldn't have to let myself down again. I wouldn't have to succumb to that temptation again. Can you see yourself in the story? Are you someone who is engulfed in your sin? Does does it burden you? Do you find it difficult to connect with others because of guilt and shame of what you maybe have done in life or what you continuously struggle with? Is that you? In fact, have you been coming here week after week yet not to talk to anybody because if they really knew you, they probably wouldn't let you in? Is that what you think? That's not why this church was started. We say everyone is welcome and no one is perfect, not as like a tagline to post something. That's the church we desired to build. That's the church we desired to work for, a place where everyone is welcome to hear the gospel because no one is perfect. At our best, remember, we're like 25%, okay? On a good day. Have you discovered it's easier to live in isolation because you think people will treat you harshly or negatively if they really knew who you were? Are you living far from God because you'd rather experience temporary satisfaction instead of God's eternal acceptance? It's a dangerous place to be. And it's at this point that this woman desperately desires... This living water Jesus speaks of. But this is only because she thinks it will save her from public ridicule and probably walking the mile-round trip with some water. She's still living for the temporary. So Jesus asks her a question. It hasn't penetrated yet, has it? He offers. He doubles down. Now he has to ask another question, which is the going to come up to the main part, the main point of this whole story. And he asks her a question to expose the eternal impact that this living water can have, and the question is designed to expose her sin. That's why this question exists. He says, go call your husband and come here. Here's her answer. I believe it's uh, 17, 18. I copy and paste, so I forgot the verse there. I have no husband, Jesus said to her. You are right and saying you have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not even your husband. What you said is true. This woman's obsession is temporary satisfaction, and she thinks she'll find that in her relationships. She thinks she'll find security and acceptance and love Within temporary relationships, she is consumed. She is enslaved by her sin of seeking relationship after relationship, thinking it will satisfy her. Some will say that this way that Jesus spoke is rude. Somebody will say that's too intrusive. I can't believe Jesus just put her business out there like that. That was rude. That's too forward. I could never say that. Some will say Jesus is being a a judgmental Christian and his job is to all just love her, man. Quit questioning her lifestyle. Wasn't Jesus all about love? But friends, listen. This is our God. This is our God whose loving kindness has the power to bring us all to repentance. You need to know that. This is our God. Whose loving kindness and the way he approaches her, the way he has approached you and I, and anybody in this world has the way to approach him, it is his loving kindness which will draw people into repentance. If God were to walk up to you right now, face to face, and you knew that he knew all about you, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. He knows it all, all right? Even the stuff nobody else knows, would you want him to not be so judgmental in his approach as he talked to you? Would that, is that what you would desire? Or would you want to know the truth about eternal life? Would you want to know the truth about your sin and his holiness? Would you want to know the truth about his mercy and his forgiveness and his eternal acceptance and love? What would you rather have? God approach you right now, would you say, man, I just hope to get this over with, and I hope he doesn't mention that one thing. Okay, good, thanks. Is that what you want from the God who is the one true God? This brings us to the main point of the story. Much like the Samaritan woman, here's why we're talking about this story. Love thy neighbor is our sermon series, but much like the Samaritan woman in the story, your neighbor, this woman, your neighbor needs the opportunity To confess sin, to receive forgiveness, and be free to pursue righteousness. That is everyone's deepest need right now, today. That's their deepest need. Her deepest need wasn't even the water. Her deepest need is to be satisfied by God. And in order to do that, these things needed to happen. She needs the opportunity to confess sin, to receive forgiveness and to be freed to pursue righteousness to pursue a life of holiness to be free to pursue the things of God to be freed from the sin that enslaves her to be freed from following after Jesus and doing what he did and living the way he did Jesus truly did love this woman absolutely perfectly he loved her he provided the opportunity for her to confess her sin which led to the life changing opportunity to receive the forgiveness she so desperately needed and it was that forgiveness which fueled her desire to live a righteous life you see how that all worked together her acknowledgement and it's right there and i'm not going to go each verse but it's at the point where she says um i think that you are a prophet you know why that's there That's the writer of the story saying she believed in what he said. I believe you are a prophet. What you just said is true. That's her acknowledgement right there of her sinful lifestyle. Or else it'd be like, you're crazy, man. Just get some water and get out of here. No, that's not what she said. Her acknowledgement of Jesus as a prophet was a declaration that he was right about her life. And it was a declaration that she was admitting to the sin in her life. That's why that's there. So if you're here today, let me be very clear. Very clear with you. There is no forgiveness of sin without your confession of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin without your confession of sin. Your relationship with God here today depends on your confession to God to kick it off. There is no confession of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin without confession of sin. And so the response of this woman is quite amazing. She confesses. She acknowledges Jesus is right. She acknowledges, yeah, this hasn't been working out for me. I'm on number six. I'm about to be number eight by this time next year. I'll be still walking this well. But it's in that moment where she Acknowledges who Jesus is, she acknowledges her sinful lifestyle, her new life begins. She no longer hides from her neighbors. Did you read that? She no longer hides from her neighbors. She will no longer visit the well when no one else is there. She will no longer walk in shame because of verse 29. What does it say? Come, come over here. Hey, hey, you, hey, people that hate me, yeah, I know you, just come over here. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this guy be the one we've been waiting for? Can he be the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior? Is this the one? This means come and see a man who looked deep into my soul, who knew every evil thought and evil action I have ever committed. And if he's God, he's no ones that I'm going to commit. He knows all about me from beginning to end. Come and meet a man who, knew, who, who although he knows my deepest, darkest desires, he still offered me life. He offered me a drink. He offered me eternal satisfaction, although he knew how dirty I was. Look at these words, uh, 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because, because of this woman's testimony, because of what this woman said. She said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days and more and more believed because of his word. They said to this woman, here's the beauty of this. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know this is indeed the savior of the world. What a great transition from going alone to a well every day because of her shame to being the biggest evangelist in the Samaritan community. The biggest, loudest, most annoying evangelist in the Samaritan community. Shouting everybody down, get over here. And they're, the guys are like, I ain't going over there with her. I don't want to be number, nine, number eight, number nine. Come and meet a man who told me all that I ever did. This is, can you see why it's one of my favorite stories? And we just scratched the surface of all that's in there. So now what do we do? What do we do with this? See, the Bible isn't just here for information. It's here for transformation. It's here to transform your life into something new, something different. So we need to figure out walking out of here today, what, what do I have to do different than when I walked in here today? What does this story do to my life? Well, first of all, number one, if you have yet to ever confess sin to God, that's your first step. Number one, are you ready to confess your sin? Are you ready to receive forgiveness and be free to live a righteous life in Jesus? That's the very first step. And you see, you can do that all on your own. You can do that here today in our service. You can call a friend and say, I'm not sure what this is like, but you're right. All the things I have chased in this life are temporary at best, and I'm left alone, dying slowly inside. And I want to meet God who can offer me eternal life, and I, I want the water that is talked about in this story, and I want to confess my sin, and I want to be sorry for it, and I don't want to walk down that road anymore. I want to walk down that road where Jesus is headed. That's your first step. And that can happen today, between you and God. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. There's nothing between you and him if you're willing to confess your sin. There is nothing between you and the creator of the universe if you're willing to confess your sin. It takes humility. The Bible says he will give you a new heart, that your heart of stone will be replaced with a heart of flesh, one that beats for the first time. And because your heart starts to beat for the first time, you get new desires for the first time. You will not be perfect. We're a long way off from that. But you will be satisfied because of him. And his spirit spirit will be the source of your brand new life walking out of here today. Are you ready to confess sin? When you humble yourself before Jesus, he doesn't just put his foot on top of your back and say, yeah, that's right, get down there lower. He picks you back up. He picks you up, and he forgives you, and he welcomes you. That's the beauty of the gospel. Number two, here's a good one for us. People who say, yeah, I've done that. Like, I'm a Christian. This is great. Okay, here's a good one for you. Love people enough to tell them about the man who saved your life. Love people enough. Be compelled by love to tell people all about the man who knew everything about you and saved your life. We can all take some tips from this woman. I have learned from this woman. The first time I really truly read this story and learned from her, I told a bunch of people about Jesus that day. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just telling people about Jesus. But you know, that's the beauty of sharing your faith. Start with God and then go to, here's what he's done for me. That's where you start. Can I tell you about a man who saved my life? That line is gonna get people like, wow, what happened? Were you like in a car accident? Yeah, headed for hell, right? Like that's probably not the best, but I was in this demon car headed for hell, you know. Um, but see, so often we, our love doesn't compel us to love anybody that we're not comfortable around. Our love doesn't compel us to tell anybody about Jesus and that is maybe because we're living in a cycle of sin that we just can't seem to get out of and we're deep in the valley and we have no idea where we're headed. We have no direction in life. We have no passion in life, no power in life. Following after Jesus is not like the easy road. Amen? It doesn't happen like that because for the first time you know how sinful you are and that hurts. But listen, friends, we have to know how good God is. And he saw you, like he saw this woman, past, present, and future, and he still chose you. (laughs) He still chose you to be his child. He still chose you. He still had that divine appointment with you that one day when you first received his forgiveness, just like this woman did. He still sought you out. So love the people in your life. Love your neighbor, your friends, your family, the person you meet on the road. Love them enough to tell them about the man who saved your life. This point comes from that verse in 35 where Jesus says, Look, I tell you, right? Lift up your eyes. Look around. The harvest is ready. People are ready to hear this news. People are ready to receive forgiveness All you have to do is you have to go tell them. Friends, the pressure is off of you, by the way. When you tell people about God and what he has done in your life, let God do all the work. You're not going to save anyone. You're not going to save anyone. So quit trying to talk people into it. Just keep telling them what Jesus has done for you. Keep telling them what Jesus has done for you. Let God do the work. Reach out to people. Support those, maybe, maybe your closest friends who are suffering in their silent sin right now because we know them, and that may be you. You need to reach out. Text me or something. Make your sin known to a brother or a sister who could walk with you. Speak the truth in a loving way. Speak the truth in a loving way and just point them to Jesus. That's our job. If we are to love our neighbors as as much as we love ourselves, our love will compel us to act in these ways. Does that make sense? Let's pray.